This Torah class is brought to you by TorahAnytime.com. To uh, the, uh, what is this course called? Practical. <laughs> Practical Spirituality here at the Essentials course in Asia Torah World Center, Jerusalem. Just get my face ready. I just got out of the bath. <laughs> I just decided to take a bath right before class. And I'm right in. It was amazing. I was just in there, like, melting away with candlelight and light music and lavender. I don't like bubbles. And listening to some... uh, You can't listen to Torah in the bathroom, so instead I put on some guru from India talking about the afterlife. (laughs) I basically was there by the time he finished. (laughs) Falling asleep in a hot bath. Anyway... Do my pants look okay? Um, when in doubt, listen to a guru in a hot bath. So, the... Uh, anyway, but I'm in a total non-resource state, so I'm going to teach a class that's easy for me to teach and interesting for you to hear. Okay. Um, just to give an update, I feel bad. We did this whole discussion about saving this family from getting evicted, a family of ten... And we even raised funds, Baruch Hashem. We, uh, we needed uh, $3,700, and, uh, and we, uh, we got it, which is amazing. So when they got to their court case to pull their house out of, the, out of getting ripped out from under them by the bank, the, um, the, the, the bank thought they were going to walk in there showing how much he owed. And when they pulled out the thing to show how much he owed, the lawyer that I also arranged came out. This is just for a family losing. Beitar outskirts of Jerusalem. So they, the lawyer pulls out his, like, you could, the ink was still dripping, you know, because it got paid that morning. Bank, the bank, you know, thought they had him, you know, to show he's not current on the house. And, uh, but in fact, the, the lawyer pours out the fresh ink. I mean, you could have gotten stone smelling this paper. And, and it said, F is F is F, like zero, 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 he owes nothing. So the, their lawyer was like, what is this? And we, but we pulled that off. This class, the Facebook Live, we pulled this off. And the lawyer went against, you know, obviously the lawyer is still going to do his lawyer thing, so their lawyer went off. And so the judge said, listen, he's clean, we're not taking away his house. He's got two months to pay his mortgage for the next two months, and now I'm willing to take his house out of this whole mess. And so we got two more months, but uh, we're going to be good. Just want everyone to know that we got that done. Um, so it's nice to know. Sometimes you hear about, you know, people are doing a cause, and then you never get to find out whether it worked. So it worked. I, I wanted it to work all together, but okay, I'll take a two-month two extension. And, and the price of his mortgage is about half the price of what we raised in one day. So please, God, we'll, uh, we'll get this pulled off. Now, um, and, and by the way, I raised eight months of his mortgage. Uh, about eleven thousand um, dollars, and what I did wrong was didn't realize there were legal fees. It was the thirty-seven hundred was the bank charging us his legal fees. Is that ridiculous? Like you got a poor guy who's been paying his mortgage, blew his mortgage, but then pays it in one big chunk. Like you're gonna slam him and take away his house for the less leftover legal fees. You know, you hear what I'm saying? Like that's just cruel. And his, oh, by the way, his electricity is only on because I gave him my credit card number. So if anyone would like to give any uh, 
electricity to a family, it's uh, it runs about 300 shekels, about 100 bucks a week is what he's paying right now in electricity. So whatever, right now they're on my on my credit card. Please put them on yours now. <laughs> and who wants the extra merit? You get it. And unfortunately, they don't have gas showers. Their showers are on the electricity in that house. And uh, and you should just know, there's a man who supported. Um, he supported over 10 families for the last 15 years with his business before he got attacked by his partner. So, like, this is a man who's done nothing but help people. And just one more, why am I on it? He put me on the map 25 years ago. He macarved me to Hasidut and my shul. Like, he's the one who brought me to my shul. And the only reason I'm here today, standing in front of you, doing what I do, is because of the broad... My broad shoulders are from him. And not only that, but... The funniest part of the story is about 10 years ago, I had no money for Shabbos. And I didn't want to tell my wife and kids, but like, the kids were kind of like, what are we going to eat? And, uh, and we had no money for Friday, forget Shabbos. Like, we didn't have any money for food. And so what I did was I, he's, a, you know, he's this businessman. So I, I just said, hey, can we come for Shabbos? He's like, sure. So I bring me and my eight kids over for Shabbos. And we're just cracking up during the meal. Just, we're just eating away, you know, like... Everyone's having, like, double the chicken, you know, like, like everyone's just, like, making up for all the lost, lost protein. And, they, uh, and of course, we're very close, so I confided in them that, really, we don't have any money. You know, we're here for Shabbos because we couldn't have made it ourselves. And this guy gave it to me over the head for the entire Shabbos. He slammed me. He slammed me for an entire Shabbos, saying, like, you, Yom Tov, should never lack. You are not monetizing yourself properly. You are not putting out there in a financial way what you got. And he just got me and got me and got me and got me. He didn't stop nailing me the whole Shabbos. And by the time I left him on Shabbos, I was on fire. And you want to know something? There has not been a single day or a single Shabbos where we were in that situation ever since he gave it to me. So not only did he put me on the map 25 years ago, but 10 years ago, he paid for me financially. And as I told those who were here or watched that I had their whole family over Shabbos because they don't have anything to eat. And I had them all over last Shabbos, 10, 10 family of 10 kids, so it's 12 souls in the house. And I told them during the meal, because all the kids are eating there and they all know they're in a serious situation. So I told them all that you're only eating at my house right now because of your father. This is your father's food. Because he, he's the one who got me to where I am today and how I'm able to pay for this meal. So it was amazing to give him that, that credit in his lowest point of his life. Anyway, so anyone wants to be helping out, we're going to do that. We're going to cover this mortgage the next two months. Can and I put on Do Not Disturb? Yeah, of course. And then I got him on the, I got him meetings this week with major businessmen to like, I want to get him back on his feet. Now that we've got him breathing space, let's get him working and back in business. Okay, here we go. Today we're doing five levels of relationship. And the only reason we're here is for relationship. That's why you're on the planet. Relationship. That's what you're doing here. So if you have a relationship to yourself, that's the beginning. You have to have a relationship to yourself. Then if you have a relationship with yourself, that's good. Then you can have a relationship with others. If you have a relationship with others, that's good. You can have a relationship with God. And have full relationships. Three levels of relationship. You to yourself which enables you to others and you can have a relationship with Hashem. Now, 
Um, you to others, just to explain that, because you're probably wondering, why do I have to love myself to love anyone else? And the answer is, is because when you don't love yourself, that means you're, you're basically sick, and I mean, there's something really wrong with you. And what happens is you'll notice, until you love yourself, you will use all your other relationships to feel better. Meaning everyone you know, including your own parents and siblings, are band-aids for yourself. That's why you call one parent when you're feeling this way, and you call another parent when you're feeling that way. They, they serve different functions for your wellness. But once you love yourself, and that's like my main work, like right now, I've got a group of like 50 men in Nakhla, we have 50 men in the possibly you. And we're just 50 men who are going to start off not loving themselves, and by the end of the seminar, possibly you, they'll be loving themselves. See you love. And they have to look in the mirror every day and say, I love you, I really love you. It's part of the seminar. But they can't, most of them couldn't say it, so they're saying instead, I'm willing to learn to love you. Which 20 years ago took me five weeks. I had to say, I'm willing to learn to love you for five weeks until I could finally say, I love you. I really love you in the mirror. That's what it took. Yeah. You, you had a question? No. Um, can you hit me with some water, please? So, I mean, don't hit me literally. <laughs> I got a cup. Okay. So. Are those yours or someone else's? Anyway, do so you understand why you gotta love yourself before you love someone else? Because until you love yourself, you're just using people. To feel better about yourself. So loving yourself is the key. And the key to loving yourself is... The key to loving yourself is to... Is to recognize your essence. Thank you so much. I think I should take the bottle, probably. Or I have another cup here, too. Oh, it's used. <laughs> is <coughs> to recognize your <coughs> essence. And your essence is your soul, meaning your true essence is your soul. And if your essence is your soul, what's not to love? You know, think about it. If, you're, if your true essence is the soul, meaning what is the consciousness you're looking at? Right now you see me? You see me, right? Well, what is you that sees me? Your eyes? Eyes don't see. Eyes just report. You have uh, visual cones that report vibrational realities outside of you, which is me right now. And they're reporting those to your consciousness. That consciousness is the soul. And when it's, if you are, if you're someone who identifies herself or his self as his soul, so then what's not the love? It's very simple. It's just the soul. It's only the, the little voice in your head, that little voice that says, you know, stupid, ugly, um, unlovable, unacceptable, unworthy, you know, all that crud, which isn't you at all. That's not your consciousness. That's your, that's a stream of thoughts that come from the left brain. And, um, and they're formed in your childhood. And the, but that's not you. So the, the way you love yourself is by stripping away what's not you and getting to what is you, which is the soul. And once you're at the soul, there's what's not the love? <laughs> soul has no identity. It's not male. It's not female. It's... It's just pure experience, pure experience. And if I'm pure experience, so that consciousness that is in the pure experience is certainly worthy of love. It is love. What is love anyway? No, there's no definition of it. But it's a sense of oneness. A sense of oneness, whether it's with yourself, whether it's with others, whether it's with God. Love and, love and one are the same. That's why Bob Marley said, one love. <laughs> one love. One heart. Let's 
You ever snap reggae? So, anyway, all love is is just an experience of oneness. That's what love is. But that's not a definition. It's just, you know, lack of separation. And so if you can recognize the oneness that's you, you can love yourself. Meaning the oneness of your soul. With, and it's also the oneness of your soul with all others, all other people. So that's also love. And obviously we have something called soulmates. That's also love. And then we also have a relationship with the, the actual energy source of all reality. That's also love. So anytime you're li- there's a lack of separateness in your life, and you've got this level of unity in your life, so you're in the world of called love. And it's an amazing place. It's our greatest desire. And the funny thing is, it's, it, it has no definition. There's no way to define the word love. And, interestingly, what's another undefinable thing that also is very important? I hate you can define. Uh, the other one's God. God has no definition. Love and God have no definition. There's zero definition for God. And there's zero definition for love. And yet they're the two things that you want more than anything else. You, you have no exact definition or no definition? No, um, well, God has no definition at all. No, and love that. has... Everyone has their own version of love. Everyone has their own interpretation of love. Yeah, that's true. But the um, but there's never a time where you can stand up in front of a bunch of people, give a definition, and have them all say that that's, that's love for so them. Everyone has their own thing. What is that that has no definition? Right. So the closest I can come, though, to something that everyone would agree with... God. Is no is uh, is oneness. Meaning, when you're not chaylik on yourself, you're not machlokis with yourself. You're not you're not in an argument with yourself. An argument with yourself would be, I'm no good, or I'm I'm or I'm, I'm you know awful, or I'm unlovable. That would be a, having an argument with yourself. But if you let go of that argument and just be in love with yourself, so now you're at one with yourself. You're not mechulak. You're not broken up. But I don't want to go there. I'm not in a philosophical mood at all right now. Okay, I take it back. I'm actually, I'm actually in a crazy mood right now. I, I'm like, I'm, I'm doing my best to even be nice. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, so when when God created this place, I'm, listen, I'm a professional. Like I've been in, believe me, I've been in some crazy situations. I mean, I've been in the situations where literally I was bawling for six hours straight and then having to go be the, the speaker at a dinner of a major organization meeting the MC and giving the keynote and I literally like drove there not even be able to see it looked like it was raining That's not and, and then got up there and nailed it because <laughs> there's, there's no other way you know when you do the thing you do for thousands of hours it doesn't matter really what Kind of you got a thumbs up. <laughs> Still trying to figure out what that means exactly. At someone, my someone age. liked what you said. Okay, that's good. Hey, our soldiers back. Yeah. We feel so much safer now. <laughs> <laughs> now, the, now the God created this world for relationship. That's the whole point. The whole point of creation. <laughs> is relationship. That's it. And who's the relationship supposed to be with? God. With God. That's the relationship. But how do you have a relationship with an infinite being? So what God does 
is he has you have all kinds of other relationships to practice. Everything's a practice in all your relationships. You're always practicing your relationship with God. And so we, so for example, how I treat you all here is, is a practice in my relationship with God. How I treat my children is really a practice in my relationship with God. How I treat my wife is a practice in my relationship with God. How am I treating myself is a practice in my relationship with God. These are all practices. Because none of this exists. Like, Kabbalistically, we're in the mind of God. Like, none of this. I know this looks 3D, but my hands are, like, going through goop right now. You know, this is, this is not... Nothing's left God's mind. Everything's in God's mind. So, this is all God playing video here. God's in some, playing some video game where we have this illusion of free will and all these relationships that we're having. Everything's relationships. Think of that. Your whole life is just... Or how about this? This will really drive it home. Ready for this statement? Your life is only as good as your relationships. Think about that one. Your life is only as good as your relationships. So, for example, someone who sees like... Someone who sees like business is like their life, but they're like their, their relationships are just like totally burning all around him. How's his life going? It's not going well. His life's only as good as relationship. And the opposite is someone who's someone whose business is crash and burning. His financial life's crash and burning, but he's got a tremendous relationship with his wife, with his, or she has a tremendous relationship with her husband or their children. How's their life? That's no, okay. Yeah. The important things are okay. I have a friend who went through some hell financially in New York. So whenever I'd call him and say, how are you? He'd always say the important things are okay. Yeah? Um, I hear the statement, but I don't necessarily agree with it. I'm not good at pronouns. I've made a lot of statements recently. <laughs> Which one? That your life is only good as your relationship? Yeah. Oh, okay. You I don't, don't have to agree. That, but, uh, necessarily, I, I think it's, it's for some people are like that and some people are not. Some people You're not are, like that, obviously. No, no, no. That's not true. No, that's not at all. I just have a very good relationship <laughs> with God and they don't have to have so many relationships no, he wants them. other he likes than that and they're still very content in their life. So I think it's a matter of oh. yeah. You know, I always wonder, I know people who have a terrible relationship with themselves yeah. and a terrible relationship with others but a really strong relationship with God. So I always wonder, because I've met many of people like that, and especially in the Haredi community, and they, they, many of them are seem OCD to me, a little bit, meaning they're not dealing with certain things in their lives, and so they've just put it all like, they're just throwing it all up there, you know what I mean? Like I've met a lot of people like that, but I'd like to be able to believe that it's, that you could hate yourself have terrible relationships with others, but still be totally connected to God. Why not? Why not? Kind of like what you're saying. Like, why not? You don't even have to hate yourself. Someone can love them. I'm saying if. I'm putting it in the ultimate. When you do theoretical, you want to go to the ultimate end. Like, I'm going to the ultimate end. I would think that would work, but I've tended to, I've noticed that when I interview them, and, you know, you're watching their facial muscles and you're watching the way they're talking about stuff, that it's... uh, (coughs) That it, there's some uh, there's some level of like an OCD thing going on, and that and and then they're just kind of their obsession is is God's going to somehow save me from all of this, which is wonderful that it's true and it's faith and it's good and it's but um, 
But I, I haven't gotten to the bottom of how much we have to be okay to have a relationship with God. Can we be totally messed up and have a relationship with God? It's probably not the healthiest relationship if you're struggling with so many, there's, there's so many other issues if you don't love yourself, you can't communicate with other people, and then your relationship with Hashem is feel like there would be issues. Well, yeah. love themselves and, and be very confident in themselves, they just, relationships overwhelm them. So they don't have that many. I don't think it makes them a bad person. Or a <laughs> no, was speaking about good person and bad person. No, I know, but I don't think it's just the opposite extreme. I think normal. There's some people that are very normal, and they just can I ask you Here's a the yeah, sure. Um, how you said before, uh, you know, people that have a very bad relationship with themselves and with other people, but they have a very good relationship with God, but. Before that, you said that everything is kind of, let's say, you have a good relationship with your wife and with your siblings and with your friends, so automatically it's connected to the relationship you have with God. It's one big practice. I didn't say it's, it's, it's a practice in your relationship with God. What is that exactly? Because we're, not, we're inside the mind of God. None of this is here. I mean, I'm married to this giant thing of goop called... Leia, and she's married to this giant thing of goop called Yontov, and we have all these little giant things of goop <laughs> sitting around our table. We're, this is all going on in the mind of God. So, when you're really holding in the Kabbalistic level of life, and you've been given all these relationships, literally beshared, like you notice how beshared who your siblings are, who your parents are. It's so beshared, you know. And I think my relation with God is very much mirrored with my relation with my father, and. And it's really, if I'm not okay with my father relationship, to question how good I'm going to be going with God. And there's been some struggles in my life over that. And so, and so, like we really got to be at peace with our fathers and our mothers. Those are the people who had us. They're our creators, and God's our true creator. I mean, God's the one who created the eternal part of you, but they created the physical you. God created the soul. They created the body. And so this is all, those are that's your major practice. If our relationship with our parents is is not going so hot, so I mean, if you can't like stay on the phone with your mom when she calls, she like seems to not be able to call at the right time ever, you know. So that's kind of where you got to be focusing on. Like it's very nice you said to him at the hotel, but but you gotta you gotta work that out. And when that's worked out, then your relationship with God becomes more possible. To, to work that out because there's a whole our, all these relationships are all part of this thing don't forget there's not even time meaning the passage of time there's no passage of time God doesn't do time time's only our perspective of, of lots of nows what, are, what is now now is reality lots of nows is time but God only does now and so yo God only does now, and there's lots of nows going on, so but God doesn't do time. And he also doesn't do space. He only does what's called the elokus, which is godliness infused into this goofy, big goofy creation of ours. Now, I'm getting too Kabbalistic. I wasn't planning on going Kabbalistic at all. That's why there's one, two, three, four on the board. So number one is uh, uh, humanity. 
we're talking about God's relationship with humanity. And that lasted until the time of... Uh, I mean, it lasts for all time, obviously. But the failures, meaning the constant failure of God's plan A, this was like God's plan A, um, you know, really, it should say A, B, C, D, because when people say plan, they don't say plan one. <laughs> so it's really plan A, plan B, plan C. Okay? So God's original plan was just God and creation. You'll notice that the Jewish people only show up after 20, I mean, let's say Heart Mount Sinai is like kind of our big inauguration. So that's 2,448 years, 2448, after the humanity thing. So this goes on for 2,448 years, where it's really just God and humanity. And if I really wanted to be more accurate, I would say like this, because when God gave up, it wasn't at Sinai. God gave up on this whole plan A, was... uh, Gave up on it in 1948. 1948 was the birth of Adam. I'm uh, sorry, birth of Abraham. Abraham. And 1948 was the birth of Abraham. And that's about when God threw in the towel. So. Um, what do you mean he threw in the towel? Well, I mean, he threw in the towel many times. With he, everybody he else. He threw in the towel with, in the generation of Noah. I mean, with everybody else. But he kept Noah and his sons alive. And then 10 generations later, of just God and humanity, he threw in the towel. And then there was Abraham. Abraham, he did this whole breeding experiment where he bred off Yishmael, and then he bred off Esau in order to create a Yaakov. That's why we're not called B'nai Abraham. We are not B'nai Abraham. We are not B'nai Yitzchak. Why? Because B'nai Abraham are also all the Arab nomadic tribes. B'nai Abraham are all the Eastern tribes, meaning all the people of India and stuff like that. And B'nai Yitzchak are all the European tribes, Asaph, like the United States of Asaph, the Westerners. So that's all the children of Asaph. And so we're not B'nai Yitzchak. We are called B'nai Israel or B'nai Yaakov, the children of Yaakov. And that all started in 1948 through the, this, this breeding experience took place from the advent of Abraham. And this is where God moved into Plan B. Plan B was the Jewish people. And and it's now, it's really important you get this. God did not give up on humanity. Think about it. The Jewish people are only 0.01% of the world population. That means 99.9% of the population of the world are the, is humanity. God didn't give up on humanity. God just changed his game. He changed the plan. What's the new plan? The new plan is to create what's called in university a teacher's assistant system where you can have this like kind of spaced out professor who's like you know living in his ivory tower he has office hours every third Thursday from 11 a.m. till 11.05 he's hooked on caffeine tobacco has been divorced four times and he is deeply depressed and he has very lofty thesis that no one seems to understand Except what? He has about six graduate students who are his TAs. And the, meanwhile, it's philosophy 101. But how do a bunch of like drunken stone college kids understand philosophy 101 from such a professor? And the answer is... They're stone. Teacher's assistants. 
They have graduate students who are also half-stoned, and because they're half-stoned, they know how to explain to the kids in Philosophy 101, because you can't get out of university without at least a philosophy class. And so those teachers' assistants, now what's the ratio of teachers' assistants? Well, different universities have different rules, but let's just say, um, let's just say it's one to twenty, something like that. Well, it's interesting. Kabar, your uh, iPhone for a second. Um, do you want me to unlock it? Yeah. Okay. What's seven billion divided by thirteen million? So there's about. 538 Gentiles for every Jew. Cool. Does that make sense? No. Not at all? Yeah, No, it shouldn't. 538. <laughs> <laughs> Rob, are you a person? <laughs> Let's just say the ratio of a university teacher's assistant very, I guess, according to God's rules of what, you know, the policy is, there's got to be this amount of Jews for the world. You got that? Did I blow the number there? No. Uh, okay. So anyway, what it is is I'm gonna put light beams that go towards who? Who are those light beams going towards? Humanity. God didn't give up on humanity. He just realized he bit off more than he could chew. Because think about it, this this matrix we're in. This matrix, we're in, probably most of you thought you were living in a real world until I started talking about my hands going through goop, right? Didn't you all think this was air? And that you're actually <laughs> having a real life here? So you've been, you spent all this time thinking it's real, and you're a Jew in Jerusalem. Imagine what the Gentiles are thinking. And they are locked into the matrix big time. The Jews are locked into the matrix. You yourselves, who probably most of you are observant, you actually keep Shabbat, which is the whole point is that none of this world's real, and God lets us pretend for six days that we're actually doing something. And then he says, now, get your, get your stinking hands out of creation for one whole day so we, can, so we can rendezvous in the real world. Shabbos is the real world of pure relationship. Six days, he lets us go into the matrix and pretend we're part of things. And the truth is, when you close your door Shabbos night and make Shabbos dinner, it should be that your neighbors could like come pounding on your door and there's nobody home. And like, we just saw the whole family go in. They just got back from shul. And they're pounding on the door and they're like, we know you're in there. Finally, you know, because I don't know, let's say something's wrong. There was a gas leak in the neighborhood and they're trying to get everyone out. Finally, someone comes into the house and searches all, they're not there. Meaning, we really disappear every Shabbos. It's just that God wanted the Gentiles to have free will. So he keeps our bodies looking like we're here. And the way we disappear every Shabbos into tr the truth is by ceasing from manipulating matter. Think about it. The 39 malachas of Shabbos are 39 ways of manipulating things. Because what do we do all six days? God lets us go, like, knock ourselves out, like, manipulating things. Sending email here, doing this there, buying this here, turning this off here, turning this on here, taking raw to cooked here, you know, cooking up some raw food and making it cooked and... Like, he lets us do our thing. Come Shabbat, he's like, let's get back to the truth. Let's get back in. Now, think how much God, one second, think how much God bit off. What's your name? Shlomi. Shlomi. 
Shall I make, think how much God bit off, thinking the Gentiles were going to get what I just said. <laughs> the Gentiles of the world. You're Jews and you barely get what I'm saying. And you probably even keep the shop as your whole life and never even thought about what I just said. Am I right? You probably, most of you keeping Shabbos never even thought about any of that. About what? About what Shabbos is. Meaning what I just shared Shabbos to be. Could you explain a bit but more about the idea of But all P, like Kabbalah and Nistra, that's what Shabbos is. It's not just, you know, Could you explain Can someone pass more? this place in mustard, please? Yeah. <laughs> My deli roll didn't get enough, yeah. <laughs> so, Shlomo, imagine God trying to do this with humanity. You can't even do it with us. However, there was a way he did it and the way he did it was prophecy. By giving prophecy, God had a fighting chance. A fighting chance, we'll say. He had a fighting chance on giving it over to a nation. One nation. How? He already saw the other idea flopped. What if we try this? What if I just like, what if I just break all the rules? Meaning, normally the rules are we're here and he's there. What if I break all the rules and just like do a major power surge? You know what a power surge is? Like right now, this is coming down at 220. But like on, in our building, we have like, you know, who knows, 10,000 volts? Probably more, 100,000 volts. And then that gets broken down through our circuits to 220. But it's hitting this part of the Jewish quarter at probably 250,000 volts. Asia's probably taking a lot of that. But. You know, it, it keeps coming down from a power plant that's probably putting out a million volts, or probably 10 million volts, or 100 million volts. You get what's going on? So God's like, hmm, this has failed for a really long time. And when it comes to Sinai at 2448. So why do you wait so long? When it comes to Sinai, it's really hard to get it. Between, it looks like an easy shot, but between the ceiling and that thing, it's not so easy. Um, so at 2448 at Sinai, God said, what if I just like go for, you know what a power surge is? I mean, we have surge protectors to protect our building. But what if we didn't have a surge protector? And instead of 10,000 coming into age, what if 100,000, sorry, 100,000 coming in age, what if like a million volts or 100 million volts straight from the Jerusalem power plant came in here? What would happen to these bulbs? It's just instantly, we'd all be covered in glass right now. Oh, joy. Yeah, well, Sinai was no joy. And why do you think Moses came down and said, like, y'all got three days. We're like, three days to what? And he was like, I'm not sure. I just got the message that we got three days to, like, figure ourselves out. Because something's going to go down in three days. No one knew what was going to happen. No one, was gonna, no, no one had any idea what was going to happen. But all we had was these instructions to prepare ourselves for something super heavy duty, and I believe me, it was not cheesecake. <laughs> <laughs> it was far from cheesecake. Um, <laughs> In fact, if, if if they even found out that cheesecake was the way we were going to celebrate it, <laughs> it'd just be like. <laughs> Someone explain this? Like, Sukkot, you were in a sukkah. Okay, that makes sense. Um, okay, Roshoni, uh, there was a chauffeur blast. That would make sense, too. You know, Pesach, okay, you're eating the bread of affliction, you know. That all works out. When God does the full-on power surge and everyone's covered in glass, we're eating cheesecake. <laughs> Can you imagine you're eating cheesecake this, this week and you're like, so, you're like, 
It's a little shark. You can see my brain is like totally out of control. Now, one sec, one sec. No question right now. I'm going to roll then. I'll come to question. What? Someone had a question here. Oh, that's cool. I'm sorry. Listen. <laughs> I told you at the beginning of this class, I'm holding on for dear life today. You know, like, I had no questions for a little while. So, anyway. Anyway, the point is, is just like, the point is, is that it's just like, God said, I'm breaking all the rules here for part, for plan B. Plan A was an utter disaster. It was an utter disaster. And what do I mean by disaster? It's very simple. Sexual licentiousness. Sorry to go for the jugular. And idolatry. Those are the two biggies all the time. Sexual licentiousness is a, why is that of issue for God? The reason it's of issue for God is it's selfish. And the, meaning you don't even exist. All there is is God. But you, the ultimate expression of like, no, there's only me, is you doing whatever the hell you want with your body. That's like total loss. You lost it. Like once, once your brain has been taken over by a small part of your body, no offense, the, the, you know, at that point, God's like, what was the point? What was the point of me doing this? You know, can you imagine when God showed the angels, you know, there was that conversation with the angels of creation, like, should I do it, should I not, you know? That's from the letter Nun, let us create creation, nasa, on them. Can you imagine when, the, when he showed the angels the diagram of man, and he starts explaining that part of the body? Because angels are probably like, hey, what's that? You know, God had like a whole diagram of man. It was a stick figure, quite literally. And, he, and he's like, what's that? And God explains and like shows like the whole history of it. And the angels are like, we're out. <laughs> we're out. This, is, this creation's going nowhere. You know, like, man's never going to get that. He's never going to get the relationship. So this is, this is a dead-end relationship. This is going to be pure selfishness. You know, people are going to ruin their entire families on this, their entire careers on this, their entire... Everything will fall apart on this one part of the body. It is insane. And God's like, oh, don't worry about it. Um, after... After... A thousand nine hundred forty-eight, meaning after two millennia of, of death and destructions through sexuality, what is the commandment Avram gets when Avram figures God out? Mmm, circumcision. Uh huh. Now it all starts to make some sense because that is a little bit of a bizarre place to be making covenants with people. Wouldn't have been the first place I would have thought of if I were making a covenant with someone, you know. You're making a business deal. Okay, everybody, drop your drawers. You know, <laughs> we're, we're going to lock this in here. So <laughs> I was like, "What?" So <laughs> especially if they're Gentiles, because they're like, "Stay away." Now, but that is why when God finally says we're going for Plan B, we're putting the covenant there, so that maybe. Maybe, at least, at least if there's enough light in the room, the guy might see it and, and put a, pour a cold ice bucket of water. He'll join the ice bucket challenge and get a little ice water over his head and get his brain back together. Now, the, uh, but the other one is idolatry. And idolatry is very simple. You know, imagine like God's like, 
you know, imagine God's like, hmm, let's see, we got to make an earth. Uh, how are they gonna? How are they gonna see? I guess we need light. Okay, let's make a sun. And what's gonna keep them warm? Oh, the sun does that too. Okay, we got a sun for that too. Oh, they got to eat. Oh, we need photosynthesis. Uh, okay, let's try the sun. And like, wow, man, God's like, this sun is great, but it does it all. It gives light. It gives heat. And then he's like, but the earth is gonna be shooting around. Who knows? Gets hit by an asteroid. What's gonna happen? So he says, he says, oh my gosh, gravitational pull. The sun works for that as well. The sun is awesome. God loves the sun. He made the sun and it just does it all for us. Now imagine, I want you to imagine this morning, but not our morning, earlier in India. You know, we're all asleep, so we're more or less covered. So God's just kind of watching some monk in a big sheet come out. You know, he's wearing a sheet. And he comes out of his cave, staring over the Himalayas, waiting for that sun to hit the horizon. And the sun hits the horizon. And God's like really excited to like have this guy, you know, like he's getting up. And like, imagine this never happened before, obviously. And the guy just like drops on his face and bows in front of the sun. Now, if you were God, you'd just be like, Does anyone have any crackers for my chopped liver? <laughs> that was so corny. Talk about chopped liver. So here God created this perfect entity called the sun that is just so perfect for our planet in so many ways, serving so many purposes. And people worship it instead of the creator of it. You know what I'm saying? It's crazy. So those are deal breakers. Those are deal breakers for God. And so humanity was an absolute disaster for this. However, the Jewish people, how is God going to pull it off? Jewish, we're also people. We also have sexual desire. We also have. We also can easily forget there's a God and think our money comes from work or something. It's easy, it's easy for us to think that our food comes from the market. You know? Oh, doesn't come from the market? Oh, it comes from the field. Okay. Where did it come from there? From the seed? Okay, where did that come from? But you see, we can easily, we as Jews can forget. So the way God got us was through full-on power search, Mount Sinai. Boom! But prophecy didn't end there. God actually let prophecy be part of our national tradition. We were a nation of prophets. Do you know there were times of Israel, temple period, that there were millions of prophets? Millions of prophets. Millions of prophets. Meaning like it was almost impossible to play a card game on Shabbos. <laughs> You'd be sitting around the table like you're you know, your 14-year-old brother is just like, just give me your aid already. <laughs> so, we, were, we are a nation of prophets. We're a nation of prophets. I mean, how is it possible otherwise that our Kabbalists have everything in common with all of the tribal medicine chiefs of the planet? How is that possible? I mean, the tribal medicine chiefs who have entered into the, the ether on their whatever things they take in the, in the jungles and have thousands of years of experience and have rules and regulations of the spiritual worlds and when they meet a Jew who's done nothing but sit in yeshiva his whole life but he had a spiritual tendency towards Kabbalah and when they sit down and compare notes they're talking the same exact stuff how's that possible? we don't have those kinds of we don't have jungle medicine in Israel we have no tradition of jungle medicine. And yet when they go into the details, they, you find out 
that the Kabbalist has about 99.9% more, more um, intricacy outlined in Kabbalah than that medicine chief could ever have dreamed of. And while he teaches him some of it, the medicine chief's like, you know, for every like 15 details, he's like, ah, my teacher taught me that about 20 years ago, meaning there's another thing in common. And then the Kabbalist goes on for another 40 details, and then he's like, aha. Uh-huh. I met one medicine chief of a tribe, and he, uh, he actually was keeping all of the laws, literally Shulchan Aruch, not just Torah. He was keeping all the laws Shulchan Aruch of the Kohen He keeps all the laws of the Kohen Crazy stuff. And, and it was like, he, he was like, how do you know this? I'm like, how do you know this? Like, how do you know all these details of, of the Kohen And he's like, who's the Kohen You never heard of a Kohen You know? And I asked him to sing me some of his chants. So some of the chants he does when he's in a trance. Every single consonant was either a yud or a hey or a vav or an olive. Every single consonant. That's all that was going on there. It was just yuds and hays and vavs and olives. An olive's just a what's an olive? An olive is a vav with two yuds. The whole time, that's and he's got like you know, about sixty hours of chance. Believe me, I didn't sit there for sixty hours, <laughs> but I, he gave me several samples. Like what? You want me to start singing? Yeah, you could. YouTube or whatever, or go on, you know, music, music spots to, to hear it. So, anyway, long story, but you get what I'm saying. Prophecy, we're a nation of prophets. We didn't, how do we know this stuff? How do we know all this stuff? And the answer is prophecy. Now, everybody, how did we do in our 12 tribe Jerusalem temple orb of light for the humanity? How did we do? Not that great. Oh, boy. Plan C. Exile. Now, the truth is, God would have gotten rid of us there, except he promised he wouldn't. Um, God, like, said we'd be an eternal nation, which on the one hand is a blessing. On the other hand, we've been through hell. You know, like, had he just forsaken us, we would have just disappeared into the Gentiles. And, like, it would have been over with the temple destruction. But God had this whole eternal nation thing. Meaning God was only going to do this once for our planet. And that's us. We, we are the ones. We are the ones. We are the chosen. Yeah? So he basically chose us for this job. We blew the job big time. And so what we did instead is we went into exile, which is our carpet. Uh, sorry, it's our... This is our ethical monotheism carpet. Bomb. We basically carpet bomb the planet with ethical monotheism. That that became our new job. Meaning, if you guys can't get it together in Israel and do what you're supposed to be doing, which we blew big time, first temple and second temple, God said, "So you'll do it in exile by just being there, and you'll be this like holy righteous bunch of people in a little shtetl singing if I were a rich man, and the Gentiles will just feel all like." <laughs> bombed out by you for like you know being being you know you know toothless wonders who like have have you know like six children all with different mothers <laughs> they'll uh th- you'll, they'll just kind of have to deal with jews in all their areas and then they'll of course expel us every time they get a chance why 
They expelled us for their own reasons, but why? So that we can carpet bomb the planet. Because Jews tend to stick together, and we would have just wound up in a couple countries and we'd never leave. But you have to exile us and exile us and exile us and exile us and exile us until the whole planet is talking God, which it is today. And we didn't do a great job of that either, so apparently we needed Christianity and Islam to talk God as well. But but uh, I don't want to go there exactly, you know, because th- that's been pretty rough on the globe. Those two have been rough on the globe. We've been pretty gentle on the globe. We're, we're only, we keep to ourselves. We just make you feel really guilty. Um, they, on the other hand, have been uh, a little bit uh, vicious. Now, the, the last is the period that we went into in the 1800s, Common Era, when all these like super Kabbalistic, expert rabbis realized simultaneously, simultaneously, that the exile's over. The Vilna Gon, the Baal Shem Tov, the Ben Ishchai, other Kabbalists in Yemen, like, like spontaneously just went like, Redemption is coming. And that is the redemption period. And that's the period we're in now. It's going real slow. I mean, not that slow. I mean, if I can pull away the board for a moment. Exhibit A, the Temple Mount. Yeah, it's not going that slow. It's moving, but I think when you're in it, it feels impatient. I mean, how many of you are getting little, losing your patience a little bit with Mashiach? So, but redemption's for sure coming. I mean, you're, if you're if you're impatient, you're crazy. Because if you know any history, we are in the most insane time ever. It's amazing times, and the ingathering of the exiles happening now. Like like more strict opinions a year ago, two years ago. Looser opinions are going to be in the next year or two. We're going to be in the majority of Jews on the planet. Shalom, everyone. Go ahead. You've just experienced another Torah class brought to you by TorahAnytime.com.